G'day humans, what's a good word? Chris Bundy here with Alex Freddie Williams for another edition of Wrestling Hostile. Alex, how you going, mate? I'm feeling so good. I could just at the drop of a dime, mate, just leap for any nightstick and thrown my way. Yes, all those years of cricket practice will have paid off. I know a couple of people listening actually know my cricket abilities and would know that that is a blatant lie. So we are here to talk about WWF Survivor Series 1998 better known as the Deadly Games. Alex, you were in charge of the international review this month. Explain a little why you decided to choose this. I threw it out to one of my group chats I'm in, like, got any ideas for some reviews? Uh, One of my good buddies, Warwick Thompson, chose the virus series 98. It's a very special show in terms of his heart because this is around the time he first started watching wrestling and the whole thing with The Rock, like, he was just obsessed with him, so... So I haven't watched this in a while and this show doesn't have the best technical matches in the world but in terms of storytelling it is perfect. Yeah, I'd sort of have to agree there. Sunday, November 15th, 1998 from the Kiel Centre, St. Louis, Missouri in the United States of America with a quoted attendance of 21,179. The day after my ninth birthday. So I suppose I should ask, did you have to watch this one on pay-per-view in Australia? I did not. So this is a year where I definitely got my parents to buy a lot of pay-per-views, but it wasn't for the WWF. This was, in in terms of my childhood, this was the year that the Wolfpack like, was formed and I was obsessed with the red and black attack in WCW. So WWF was not the highest on my list of priorities at this point in time. Well, it doesn't surprise me given the man at the top of the company at this time over in WCW was Bill Goldberg currently on his undefeated streak. I still have fond memories of just like sitting in the lounge room with my dad and my Lola and you know probably mum in the background telling me to go to bed or whatever watching Goldberg beat Hollywood Hogan for the title like I, I still remember that night very vividly. Wow. Yeah like I've got admittedly one of the worst memories in the world but for some reason like I can remember that night very vividly and I can also very vividly remember the night that Goldberg lost the title vividly in my memory. Yeah I suppose we can discuss that after the show but yeah going to the show itself there was one dark match I've seen ported I couldn't find any footage of this anywhere so the dark match was a tag team match too much Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor defeated the Hardy Boys Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy. Oh, man. Yeah, the old preliminary jobber Hardy boys, eh? And they're less than a year away from that No Mercy tag team ladder match. <laughs> That's just crazy. Oh, wow, yeah. So from there, did you happen to watch Sunday Night Heat? Oh, man, I should have done that, actually. But no, I didn't. I should have done that because I didn't even think twice about doing that. Yeah. Jeez, you're, you're on the ball. So you might have tuned in and then just gone, no thanks, as soon as you heard the commentary team of Michael Cole and Jim Cornette. Goddamn! (laughs) Oh, my! A little of that, yeah. (laughs) So to start the show, there was a tag team match, the job squad team of Bob Holly and Scorpio with Al Snow and Head in their corner, defeated the new Legion of Doom, 
Animal and Troz. So recently, Animal had turned his back on Hawk, while Al Snow had formed the job squad last week. During the match, Al Snow and Head become involved, attacking Droz behind the ref's back, and Scorpio pinned Droz for the win in 2.17. Yeah, this was just after Hawk had fallen off the Titan Tron, and yeah, oh my god, that whole thing. Just, just ridiculous. Hawk's the one who's passed away, isn't he? Yes. He got his life all cleaned up and that after... All this stuff happened and then sort of had a heart attack. Just as soon as he got cleaned, it was unfortunately just too little too late for him. And he passed away not too long after him and Animal like made a surprise appearance on Raw and like challenged the Raw tag team champions at the time. The much beloved tag team that everyone remembers fondly, a staple of the tag team division, RVD and Kane. What? Yeah. Eric Bischoff decided to book a tag team dream match for the tag titles and Hawk and Animal come out. I think it's like 03 or 02. And yeah, they do the J-O-B to RVD and Kane. That just sounds weird. It's some weird alternate timeline, right? Yeah, so just a few quick little matches on Sunday Night Heat portion. Next was a singles match. Val Venus versus Tiger Ali Singh with Babu in Tiger's Corner. This is just after Terry Reynolds attacked Val Venus, saying he's not the father of Terry's baby. And this is also about three months following the kind tie attack of Val Venus. Yeah... Oh my god, what a year old Val has had here. You know who um, used to be in Kind Tai, who's going to be at a lot of G1s? Good old Dick to go. Yeah. Uh, well, we could possibly see Tuck in the G1 too. Seconds ZSJ to the ring or something. Yeah, he hasn't been around for a while, has he? No. It's been a minute since old Tucker showed up and did his whole spiel. I actually like that with him and ZSJ. Speaking of <laughs> Tucker Michinoku, have you heard his New Japan theme? No. Oh my god, we're giving the people a teaser already? <laughs> uh, let's just say it says the F word <laughs> in his theme. As long as it's the four-letter F word and not the bad, bad F word. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right, that's fine then. Yeah, so back to the match. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a long one, folks. (laughs) The match is going about two minutes. All of a sudden, the Godfather runs in, attacks Tiger Ali Singh behind the referee's back because Babu was on the apron at the other end. And Val Venus picks up the victory here in 2.36. Cool. Oh, man, nothing sounds... Less intriguing to me than a Tiger Ali Singh match. Uh, next was the Disciples of Apocalypse. Eight Ball and Skull with their manager Paul Allering making their way to the ring. But before the match, they're attacked by Bradshaw and Farouk and the match doesn't take place. Interesting. First time we're seeing Bradshaw and Farouk in matching ring gear before AOP. Uh, APA? What'd I say? AOP. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> the acolytes of pain. I just pictured Bradshaw and Farouk coming out behind Seth Rollins as part of his disciples. Yeah, well, I suppose in a few months' time, they would be part of a disciple faction with a very spiritual cult-type leader. Man, don't you dare besmirch the good name of Ministry Undertaker by comparing him to the Monday Night Messiah. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't have (laughs) Buddy Murphy in his corner. In later years, the Undertaker does have an uh, Aussie in his corner. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) jeez. The Beast of Boggo Road. 
Still has a great theme song. Didgeridoos is Australian, of course. Give him some didgeridoos to some metal music. He'll get over. Spoiler alert, he didn't get over. <laughs> oh, man. Still on heat. The outlaws are backstage, carrying an interview with Kevin Kelly. Then they're attacked by the headbangers, Mosh and Thrasher, as well as D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry, as they are defending the titles against those two teams later tonight. Sable was attacked in the ring by Jacqueline from behind when she was talking to Mark Murrow in the ring. Match number four of the night, it is Gangrel with the Brood, that's Christian and Edge, versus Steve Blackman. So Christian is the WWF light heavyweight champion at this point in time. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy this match because commentary is talking up uh, the is Owen Hart the Blue Blazer as Blackman was double teamed by Owen and Blazer the previous weeks on Raw. On Raw, Kane attacked the Brood and poured gasoline on them but was That's stopped right. by referees before setting them on fire. Yeah, uh, this is around the time that I was like, as a child, legitimately terrified of Kane, mortified of the guy, like would probably have nightmares about him. Towards the end of the match, Edge hits a top rope drop kick as Christian has the referee distracted and Gangrel picks up the victory over Blackman in 321. Post match, the blue blazer descends from the ceiling and Blackman starts attacking him like a pinata. Commentary mentions. What kind of ball can't get out of a harness? Oh, no. Yeah, that was tough to watch in hindsight, knowing what happens about six months later and about four hours west to Owen. Oh, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Another small sidetrack. I recently watched a episode of Nitro from 98, and they did the whole thing where the NWO's in the ring and they get interrupted by Sting, but... As Sting comes to descend from the rafters, but the rope snaps and Sting falls and lands in the ring. But it's just a dummy of Sting and Hogan and Bischoff are laughing. And I'm like, man, this is uncomfortable knowing what's going to happen in the wrestling business a year later. Yeah, um, sort of took me out of it. But then again, hindsight being 2020, these guys didn't know what was about to happen. Exactly, yeah. Main event of heat was an in-ring segment mr mcmahon and his stooges call out the rock shane mcmahon stone cold steve austin and most of the participants for the deadly games begin to brawl as we go off the air so on to survivor series itself commentary team is jerry the king lawler and jim ross first match on the pay-per-view match number five of the night is a deadly games first round match mankind versus a mystery opponent hand chosen by vince mcmahon himself Dwayne Gill. Man, I loved this. So, like, around this time, it was heavily rumoured that HBK was going to return, and you just hear the crowd chants of HBK, HBK, and, you know, this is a time before Google and all that sort of stuff. So Vince says, like, oh, yeah, this guy used to work for us. He's come back from an injury. He debuted in the late 80s, early 90s, blah, blah, blah. The crowd's going nuts. HBK, HBK. And then he just goes, Dwayne Gill. And the crowd just loses their stuff. So Mankind is the WWF hardcore champion at this point in time. It's sort of a nothing match. It goes 30 seconds with Mankind defeating Dwayne Gill here. Yeah, yeah. It it was to further the story of, you know, Vince McMahon doesn't necessarily like Mankind, but he can trust Mankind to do his bidding for him, or so it would seem. 
to be the corporate champion handpicked by Vince. And all these favors just happened to keep falling into Mankind's lap. Or was it? Or yeah. was Mankind just a decoy? And that's what I love about the storytelling in this tournament. Match number six, Deadly Games first round match. Al Snow with Head versus Jeff Jarrett with Deborah McMichael. Yeah, your boy. A couple of uh, your Fantasy Feds roster members here. Yeah, I wish I had Al Snow. <laughs> I'd draft Head. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of brawling outside before the match starts in the ring. Later on, Deborah still has Head on the apron. Al takes the guitar and goes for the guitar shop but it's blocked as Jarrett goes for the headshot and Al blocks. As the referee moves the guitar, Al picks up head, hits the headshot for the victory pinfall on Jeff Jarrett in 3.31. And was it in this match as well that Mr. Socko was tied around head's head? Yeah, so Mick Foley didn't want to join the job squad. Al's sort of got control of Socko using it as a headband for head. Yeah, but we later find out that uh, Vince was the one that stole Mr. Socko from Mankind and tied it around Al Snow's head's head to fire up Mankind for a later match. So I just love all that stuff, all these little details here and there. On to their match number seven, Deadly Games first round match. Stone Cold Dave Austin versus the Big Boss Man. They brawl on the outside before the bell. Back inside the ring, there's a low blow behind the referee's back. Then back outside, Boss Man is DQ'd for using his nightstick on the outside in 3.20. So Stone Cold advances, but Boss Man won't let up the attack for a while, continuing to hit Austin on the outside. My commentary made it really clear that maybe Boss Man's role wasn't to win this match, but just to make sure Austin was injured for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. So it's sort of playing into where you see these two guys on the totem pole if you were watching at the time that Austin's positioned a lot higher, so Boss Man's going, yeah, you know what? I'm probably not going to win here, but I'm going to do the boss a favor and just try to take this guy out in the process. I will go into great detail later after we talk about the semi-final match involving Steve Austin, and I will talk a bit more about the horrible night Big Boss Man had this particular evening. Match number eight, Diddley Gang's first round match. Steven Regal versus X-Puck. He's a man, such a man, such a man. <laughs> You're welcome. It's sort of weird to go back and watch these matches with Regal when I just think of that like sort of weird evil villain sort of music that he comes out to. Yeah, yeah, and here comes William Regal like in jorts and a flatty and a hard hat, but he's still like doing his pompous little walk, his weird little wrist shake, wiping his feet on the apron. It's just, it just didn't work. But man, it's just hilarious to watch. Yeah. <laughs> you know who would be proud of his jorts? His name might be John Cena! Well, that too, but I was thinking more WCW, Cruiserweight Tag Team Champions. Billy Kidman. Yeah. <laughs> Billy Kid Real Man's Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
X-Pac is the WWF European champion at this time, and the two were feuding on Raw over Regal feeling a Yank shouldn't be the European champion. This match is fine, but no one is advancing as they are both counted out on the outside. Then Vince angry sends one of the Stooges down to ringside. I think it was Slaughter saying he wants them to go overtime. So they announce there'll be five minutes of overtime, but X-Pac is injured, walks up the rampway to the backstage. The bell rings, Regal's in the ring, could wait there to get a count out to advance but instead runs after X-Pac and it ends in a double double count out man this whole finish here was really weird I was just genuinely confused at points here like the overtime thing but then nothing and then yeah it was just it was weird like, did the whole overtime thing even need to happen? Like, what was that? The only reason I thought that was happening was because, oh, okay, X-Pac's going and Regal's going to advance here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just really weird. Yeah, like, I, I wonder if there actually was an injury or something here. I like, probably should have looked that up before starting, but I I didn't even think to look that up. Yeah, and I don't think there was because I'm pretty sure like X-Pac is pretty active the next month or so coming up here. But yeah, it's just really strange. But what yeah. have we got next? We've got Mr. Tuesday Night in 2020 versus Mr. Wednesday Night in 2020. Oh yes, it is match number nine. Another Deadly Games first round match. Ken Shamrock versus Goldust. And think about all the people on this card and this, these are two of the guys, two of the very small amount of guys that are still active. Oh yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. You got Mr. Tuesday Night on Impact, Ken Shamrock. We haven't seen him in a bit, but he's still there as far as I know of. And you got Goldust, who, you know, just a couple of weeks ago was main eventing Dynamite. (laughs) Yeah, TNT number one contender. Yeah, just crazy. So at this time, Ken Shamrock is the WWF Intercontinental Champion. I felt it was a really good match. Ultimately, Ken Shamrock here puts on the ankle lock and gets the submission win. Ken Shamrock is like one of those guys that I just wonder like what if what if he stuck around for a couple of more years like this guy could have been world champion like he probably should have been world champion at one point to be honest like this guy's so good yeah you already know how I feel about Shamrock he's one of the biggest what ifs in wrestling yeah definitely you look at how Brock is used when he came back from the UFC and Shamrock was a UFC champion at that time he was a pancreas champion imagine if like shamrock had stuck around in the wwe for like five more years right and he was part of that like smackdown 2002 like him feuding with like a team angle and a lesnar and an eddie guerrero and a dare we speak his name and all that sort of stuff like like if shamrock had somehow managed to sneak it stick around until 2002 i think his career career would have just took off like a rocket from that point forward because at that point like the entertainment was still pretty big but the technical wrestling ability really became a focus in like o2 moving forward yeah did he ever have like a high profile singles match against angle no wow not that i know of anyway like i think kurt angle debuts at survivor series 99 ken shamrock is out of the wwf just before the Yeah, Kurt Angle is into TNA after Ken Shamrock had already left TNA. And when Shamrock's back, Kurt's in the Fed. Yeah, 
So, like, they just never crossed paths, really. Wow. Like, there was a point in time in my life where I thought Kurt Angle was a rip-off Ken Shamrock, which is such a weird thing to say. But, like, Kurt Angle shows up, and when he starts using the ankle lock, it's just like, dude, that's Ken Shamrock's move. What are you doing? Now, like, with 2020, like, hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, the ankle lock, that's Kurt Angle's move. It's almost a little bit more surreal seeing Ken Shamrock do it these days yeah i'd have to agree there as well it's sort of been ingrained into you that that's this guy's move i I would pay so much money to just see like kurt angle and ken shamrock just go at it flat sport 2021 oh man just let them shoot on each other that'd be great ken shamrock's a fair bit older than kurt so that sort of makes up for kurt's injuries it sort of evens out maybe uh so after this match we're at the halfway point of the night match number 10 Deadly Games first round match, The Rock versus Triple H. But hang on, the Stooges come out and say Triple H is injured and that he'll be fine. And his replacement is the big boss man. So boss man runs down, enters the ring, the bell rings, Rock gets an inside cradle. One, two, three, Rock wins in three seconds. Yeah, the quickest match in WWE history. Man, this was actually fantastic. I loved this. I remember I had like No Mercy or like WWF WrestleMania 2000 on the Nintendo 64. And I remember like after I'd hired or like rented this VHS for the first time, I would always like make matches between myself as The Rock against Big Boss Man. I'd always try to pit him with a small package like immediately into the match. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. work? It never worked because, yeah, it's not how video games work. But, yeah, I remember, like, even, like, going into the moves list and changing, like, one of the easier buttons to press to start off a match to a small package so it was easier for me to do that onto the boss man and all that sort of stuff. Just kept trying to beat your time against the boss man. Yeah, for some weird reason, this match just, like, yeah, it was very memorable to me as a kid. Just because it was so quick, but yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So next is match 11, Deadly Games, a quarterfinal match, the first quarterfinal match. Undertaker with Paul Bearer versus Kane. They both had a buy in the first round. So closing stages, Paul distracts Kane from the floor and Undertaker gets a tombstone with Paul hooking the leg out of view of the referee. Undertaker makes the pinfall and wins in 7-16. Yeah, this one was okay. Um, Definitely not one worth going back and revisiting to check out any of the half-decent Undertaker and Kane matches. This isn't one of them. Yeah, this is sort of just one if you're completing the set, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Post-match, they're showing a replay, and Jerry screams over the replay, Oh, look, Kane just took out the referee. (laughs) (laughs) Even though we're never showing a replay of that. Oh, man. Match number 12, Deadly Games quarterfinal match number two. Mankind versus El Snow with Head. During the match, El brings Head into the ring and he still has Socko as Head's headband. Mankind gets Socko back from El Snow, locks in the mandible claw on El to advance in 355. I just loved how this whole thing was playing out with Mankind and um, the whole manipulation of Mankind here with the Socko stuff and all that. It was great. Poor dude is just completely brainwashed. I recently read an article about Survivor Series 98 and it was just like a fan like dissecting this. 
And it was just like earlier in the year, Mankind was managed by Paul Bearer, but then Paul Bearer pretty much dumped Mankind to focus more on the Undertaker and Kane thing. Mankind gets deranged and lost over the year and then finally finds another father figure to place Paul in Vince McMahon and... Vince just took full psychological advantage over mankind's basically like daddy issues sort of thing. So yeah, I just love the way Vince is working mankind here and it, and it picks up a bit later on too. Absolutely. It's interesting to see it all sort of unfold on one night. Next is match number 13, Deadly Games quarterfinal match number three. Austin advanced with a bye because of the double can out with Regal and X-Puck. So this match is The Rock versus Ken Shamrock. Uh, during the match, Shamrock is using a sleeper hold as Bossman comes down to the ring. Bossman gets on the apron. The referee distracted. Bossman goes to toss the nightstick to Shamrock, but Rock with an Adam Gilchrist level catch takes it away. Yeah, I love that. Rock hits Shamrock and tosses the nightstick out of the ring before getting the pinfall victory over Shamrock in 820. Yeah, Mark Warren slips. Yeah, like like just insane. I, I know specifically, like, when Warwick Thompson told me to review this, like, he definitely wanted the Rock's catch of the nightstick to be a main focal point of this discussion. Yeah, it's just incredible. And, like... The timing could, of it. The timing, like, it could have so easily have gone wrong. And I, I don't think the throw was correct either. I think, like, the throw was meant to make it a little bit easier for The Rock, surely. Because The Rock had to fully stretch himself out to get it. Like, it was just incredible that The Rock still managed to grab a hold of that thing. Yeah, that was just fantastic. The way this all sort of plays out into the story at the end of the night, too. Like, like you think The Rock keeps getting one over on the corporation, but... The way it sort of plays out at the end of the night, it's just like, it makes you think back and then go, oh, oh, they had me all along. Yeah, especially with the second camera angle here, not the live camera angle when they show the replay. You can see Rock just like grabs it at the last <laughs> moment to use it. Yeah, yeah, it's just perfect. Like, if... I'll take this over like a 450 Meltzer driver with a Canadian destroyer shooting star Goober Lackey to finish a match. I'll take this any day. Like, Are you this... booking a 10-man finisher there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and chuck a couple of super kicks in there while you're at it. Um, I really enjoyed this, and the fact that you sort of made me question, was the throw-off? That improves it all the more for Rock's catch. Yeah, I would assume, like, the throw was meant to make it, like, look impressive when the Rock caught it. But I don't think it was meant to be that much of a stretch for him, surely. Like, no. I think the throw was definitely off a little bit, at least. Yeah, well, they... Do call him the great one for a reason. Man, yeah. Like, um, the guy that chose this show, Warwick Thompson, we used to talk about all the time about, like, oh, out of all the wrestlers in the world, who would you want on your cricket team? And stuff like that. And it's always, like, a go-to was always, like, well, we've seen the way Stone Cold, like, never drops a beer. You've got to have to bring in, like, Stone Cold and have him field on the boundary for all those high ones, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
But yeah, you might have to chuck the rock in a first slip or gully for this. Um, okay. Now you got me thinking. <laughs> for any long-term, like, impact wrestling fans, you might have to chuck in Sammy Callahan for the way he smashed Eddie Edwards' face in with the baseball bat. So he, <laughs> he, he, he might have to come in at uh, bat at number six or seven, you know, just come in and hit a, hit a few big ones and go home. Put him in as a night watchman. <laughs> what no, the, about... the night watchman would have to be a literal night watchman so it'd be like the undertaker or like sting or something just have like a real gothic camp character come out to be the literal night watchman who'd you put in at number 11 sandman oh man oh you gotta have like sandman uh, yeah you gotta have him high up on the on the batting order who else so... would you have in there you'd um who would be a good bowler? Oh, yeah. JBL's clothesline action. Just yeah. put a cricket ball in his hand for him to do the clothesline from hell, and you got a hell of a fast bowler in JBL. What about Steve Blackman, the way he uses the nunchucks? <laughs> He's got good wrist action. Yeah. Oh, man. No. Nah. See, th- this is the sort of thing I could talk about for hours that, yeah. But, yeah. You you got to put the rock in at first slip or gully for his catching ability after this performance. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. Wow, that was a <laughs> cool little side tangent. <laughs> Wrestlers, on I, I'm gonna too. get, I'm gonna get so many messages off Warwick <laughs> just being like, "Oh man, should have mentioned this bloke in your cricket team. Should have mentioned this bloke, dude. I don't plan anything I'm gonna say on this podcast." Oh man. Uh, so from there, back to the wrestling match number 14, a WWF Women's Championship match. Jacqueline, the champion with Mark Marrow in her corner versus Sable and special guest referee Shane McMahon. I love um, young, horny, sleazy Shane just trying to just gets himself into the women's title match, especially with hindsight for like how this show goes. Like you just realize like after this show has ended, Oh, Shane just wanted to put himself in the women's title match to have a bit of a perv. Oh, yeah. Oh, I suppose we'll <laughs> talk about that in a minute, but... <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that's his whole thing here. And I remember there being some segment on Raw at some point where Shane tries to ask out Sable and she rejects him or something. Maybe. Yeah, I- I'm positive it happened at some point. So Jacqueline is attacked by Sable from behind. Commentary mentions that Jacqueline trained with Ben when first debuting. Mark Murrow becomes involved, and Sable rolls to the outside to deliver a low blow and a Sable bomb onto Murrow on the outside. Jacqueline goes for a Tornado DDT out of the corner, but Sable counters and hits a Sable bomb to become the new champion in 314. Bad luck to Jacqueline, member of Hoggy's Fantasy WWF roster. Uh, we still haven't figured out a way for you to get Mark Marrow yet. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, this was sort of a nothing women's match, more of a product at the time, I guess. Yeah, this was a women's match before women's matches were watchable, mm. unfortunately, yeah. But Sable was so over. It was just ridiculous how over she was. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. So match number 15, the Deadly Games first semi-final match, Mankind versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, At the start of the match, Austin takes off the tuxedo top and we see the iconic Mankind look for the first time as McMahon is wheeled out by the Stooges. 
At one point, Mankind is leaving and the Stooges have to convince him to stay, but Austin and him begin to brawl ringside. There's a chair in the ring and the ref is allowing a lot of leeway. As Austin has the win, Vince is healed and takes out the referee. Then Austin has the match won for a second time as a second referee slides in. It's Shane McMahon and he counts one, two, one count three, but flips off Austin. So good. I love that. Like Shane's face. It's so funny. He does it and then he goes, oh no. And he sort of scours away between the ring ropes to the outside. Yeah, it's just that sudden realisation of, boy, you done messed up now. Vince's Stooges all attack Austin and Mick pins Austin as Shane does a free fair count. It's not a fast count, which I found surprising. Uh, So post-match, Vince and his Stooges hightail it out of there, get in Vince's limo and leave. Austin steals a four-wheel drive and drives after them. All right. Story time, kiddies. So the finish of this match is basically Austin getting laid out by a Gerald Briscoe chair shot, right? Mm-hmm. If you notice, Gerald Briscoe, like, does not want to hurt the moneymaker of the WWF at the moment, the cash cow in Steve Austin. So he gave him pretty much what... Uh, Bruce Pritchard calls on his podcast The Tink Heard Round the World with just this gentle little tap to Austin's head and Austin gets pinned one, two, three. In hindsight, that sounds really weird that that's what took Austin out. That's because it wasn't meant to be Gerald Briscoe laying out Austin. It was meant to be the big boss man because, you know, we hadn't had enough of the big boss man this particular night. Before this match... They're all standing in gorilla, and boss man just goes, says to someone, oh, I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I'm just going to have a chat with Undertaker backstage somewhere. And then they're all coming out for their run-ins, but boss man's nowhere to be found because he completely forgot to go back to gorilla and just spent the entire time chatting away with Undertaker instead. So they had to improv on the spot that Gerald Briscoe had to take out Austin. And originally for the next pay-per-view, one of the main events was going to be Austin versus Boss Man because this angle never properly got to happen. They never ended up going in that direction because Austin didn't have the motivation because it wasn't Boss Man that took him out of the tournament. Silly, silly boss man. Yeah, just one of the one of the great stories. Austin's talked about this story before as well on his podcast. Um, yeah, it's just hilarious. Some of the ridiculous things that happen in wrestling. Yeah, I, I thought I'd have to mention that little story. You can't really talk about Survivor Series 98 without talking about this. Fair enough. Uh, match number 16, the Deadly Games second semifinal match. The Rock versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer in Undertaker's Corner. Sort of a good back and forth. Both men seem to be evenly matched. Then, as Undertaker seems to have the match won, Kane runs in and attacks The Rock, costing his brother the match, and they brawl off into the crowd as it's announced The Rock will advance via disqualification. Yeah, it seems like The Rock just keeps baiting the system on this one. Or does he? Yes. <laughs> oh, I love a good Paul Bearer promo. Oh, yes. My Undertaker. Oh, I can't do that at all. <laughs> um, it's 
It's because you've got dropped balls, apparently. I don't. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we go to match number 17, the co-main event of the evening for the WWF Tag Team Championship in a triple threat match. The New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, the champions, versus the Headbangers, Mash and Thrasher, versus D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry. As the Outlaws making their entrance, there is the biggest sign I've ever seen at a wrestling show. I must have missed this one. What was it? They cut to the crowd, and it's like three full rows of a white banner that pretty much reads, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, D-Generation X proudly presents to you oh, their tag team champions of the world. <laughs> yeah, man, that's awesome. That's just that's just great. I love that. When you start talking about signs in the Attitude Era, I start to get a little bit worried because we've seen some dubious ones in the past anyway. Oh, there's a Twitter page for it. Search up at AE Signs. It's amazing. Yeah, so wrestling signs, sort of weird to see an Attitude Era show with so many in the crowd and the crowd so lively for the whole show. Yeah, and just invested in everyone's characters, to be honest. Like, do you think, like, people would spend that much time, like, filling up rows in an arena with signs that just said the catchphrase of, like, any wrestler today. Like, ten people holding up a sign that says the one and only Ricochet. Like... Oh, yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> you know, just, just like, yeah, it would just never happen today. Because everyone's just, like, too focused on being, like, smart marks and just being, like, they'll just try to sneak in an AEW sign or something instead. But... Do you remember when... Ricochet was teaming with Alistair Black. They had a match at WrestleMania for the tag titles. So more or less, I'm getting to the point of their entrances. You know how Alistair Black has that, uh, like, it's pretty much a plank lift. Yeah, and they had the creaking sound. Yeah. Do you remember what they did for Ricochet? No, I don't. So when he takes off his hood, there's like a little thunderclap every time he take off his hood. Oh, that's right. So cheesy. They used to do that with The Undertaker, remember? Like, there was a point in time... That makes sense, because there was actual thunder, and it's been his character for 20 years. It's not like one week on Raw, it's not there, and then the next week it's there, and then the next week it's not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Plus, Undertaker's more an occult figure. You associate um, thunder with his character, whereas Ricochet was just like, why is this here all of a sudden? <laughs> anyway, yeah, back to the match. Outlaws versus Headbangers versus D-Lo and Mark. Uh, commentary's really talking up D-Lo and Mark as being like the next big thing, saying they're both around 25 to 27. Um, so saying they're like the next big thing for the company. Yeah. I found it funny, like, Road Dogs isolated for most of the match by the other teams and makes a hot tag to Billy, who cleans house. 22 years later, and he's still doing the same thing in tag matches. Mm. So here's a little random trivia. I doubt you'll even get this. Out of all these tag teams, which tag team was the most recent to have contended for WWE tag titles? Outlaws. You would think so. But take your mind back to 2016 when the brand extension came back. Smackdown decided to hold a a tournament for the new Smackdown tag titles. 
do you remember that the headbangers were in that tournament? Yeah, I was thinking the outlaws were after that, but they were way before that. Yeah, they were a couple of years before that. Yeah, it's so weird thinking that like Road Dog and Billy Gunn like were in a match at WrestleMania against Roman, Seth, and Moxley, basically. Um, yeah, that is really weird to think about. <laughs> and, yeah. and the team that won the SmackDown titles, they're now over on Impact, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, the fact that they brought the Headbangers back in 2016 is, like, one of the strangest things. Like, it was so weird. Oh, man. I kind of wish they just ran with it for a bit. Two months. Give them a random heel run as, like, the Mrs. Lackeys or something. The match goes 10-10 with Billy Gunn at the New Age Outlaws pinning Thrasher of the Headbangers so the Outlaws retain. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty fun match. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this. Man, everyone's just so over. From top to bottom on this card, like, like I don't think there's anyone on any roster today that's as over as even the lowest person on the totem pole in this card. Scorpio of Job Squad in the opening match with Al Snow and Bob Okay, Holly. well, maybe that's too literal, but you know what I meant. <laughs> Blackman and Gangrel. Man, I... You want to talk about Bloodsport? Get Blackman in there. Versus Minoru Suzuki in Bloodsport. Thank you. We need to stop fantasy booking Bloodsport. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because, like, they're currently, like, booking one. And it's and all our fantasy booking for Bloodsport has just made the current Bloodsport card seem kind of underwhelming. <laughs> Nothing against them. It's just it was supposed to happen at Mania and then it didn't. And then it's just like... A running gag at the show. Hey, this would be good on Bloodsport. <laughs> to be fair, though, like I would love it if they even brought Steve Blackman into Raw Underground. Just having him there is like someone's corner man, like passing on his lethal <sighs> weapon gimmick to someone. Um, in reality, I'd love him to pass it on to Joe. However, they'd probably pass it on to like Bo Dallas. Nah, it'd be Riddick Moss for sure. <laughs> They'll make Riddick Moss the new lethal weapon. Oh, that's one of my favourite ta- tag teams. <laughs> Blackman and El Snow. Oh, head cheese. Yeah. And then... Do you remember a match um, El Snow had once against himself? It was on like in the Fed? It was in the Fed. And Al Snow was just like, he moonsaulted... And just put himself through a table. (laughs) Because it was just insane. And he just had a hardcore match against himself. And he's like brawling around the ringside area. Just like punching himself in the face. Throwing himself in the barricade and stuff. Is it like Janela versus Invisible Man? Like It's like that. Except he's not working against an invisible human. He's just full on punching himself. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to check that out. I'll see if I can find it for you. <laughs> so from there, we go on to the main event of the evening, match number 18. So despite this having <laughs> more matches than WrestleMania last year, this whole thing came in under four hours. Yeah. With heat. Yeah, and definitely definitely with heat. A lot more <laughs> heat than last year's WrestleMania, that's for sure. I was more referring to the TV, but yes, indeed, that as well. (laughs) So it is the main event of the evening, the Deadly Games final match for the vacant WWF Championship. 
The Rock versus Mankind. Commentary notes that the McMahons are now back in the arena and not wanting a repeat of Montreal this year. Mankind has a sleeper as Vince makes his way to ringside. The men begin to brawl outside, then into the crowd, throwing trash cans and chairs on one another. Back to ringside, Mankind goes through a table, and then Rock takes Mankind into the ring. There's a people elbow for a two count. Mankind gets the double arm DDT and a Socko mandible claw, but can't get Rocky to submit. The Rocky chants are so loud as he fights out and gets a rock bottom for a two count. As the rock applies a sharpshooter, Vince calls for the bell. Wait, what? And it's announced the winner via submission and new World Wrestling Federation champion, The Rock. The Rock is a corporate champion, and Vince says there's more to come on Raw. Mankind seems confused, as he was neither pinned or submitted, and Vince says, you just don't get it. As The Rock attacks Mankind, rock bottom. They're all standing in the ring. Then Austin returns to end the show, attacking the champion, as well as Mankind, and we go off the air. What a finish here. This was just perfect. Like, you got to admit, the storytelling throughout this tournament was just... This show in itself is the reason why Vince Russo kept getting jobs for years. This is all Vince Russo's, like, uh, genius or whatever. That he always is the first to point out that, yeah, Survivor Series 98, that was all me. So... Yeah, this is the reason why Vince Russo got work for years is because people kept thinking, well, he did that one awesome, like, swerve-filled tournament where everything, if you look back, actually made sense. But no, uh, lightning never struck in the same spot more than once for poor old Vinny Roo. People kept hiring, hoping they would get this, but they would end up getting... I don't know, something like Bash at the Beach 2000 or where Jeff Jarrett just lays down in the ring for Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan wins the title. Hulk Hogan leaves the arena and Jeff Jarrett says, no, that wasn't the real title anyway. I'm going to have a match against Booker T for this title. Yeah, and then all the TNA stuff as well, I suppose. Yeah, so like this made Vince Russo's career. People just hoping, oh yeah, we'll get one more Survivor Series 98 out of Russo. Like it never came. It just never happened. Especially when you don't have a guy like Vince McMahon like sort of telling him, no, 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 we don't need a poll for this match. No, no, no. Bring it in a bit, Vinny. Yeah. yeah. So do you remember who the champion was before this? Um... Oh, it was, was it Undertaker and Kane, technically? Double-pinned Austin, and then they vacated the title? You're sort of half right there. So from WrestleMania, Austin was champion over Shawn Michaels, then lost it to Kane at King of the Ring, then won it on Raw the night yes. after, yeah, and then vacated it September 27th, 98, yeah, after uh, the Kane and Undertaker simultaneously pinned Austin in a triple threat match. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. So, like, the next night, like, Vince was going to give a crowning of the title to both Undertaker and Kane, and it all sort of went out of control. And It's crazy to think that they didn't have a champion for, like, peak Attitude Era for so many months. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, looking back on it, it's sort of something you never really think of and saying that WCW would do a number of times in the two thousands. Yeah. Yeah, just kick off a nitro with uh every champion is now no longer a champion, all titles are now vacant, we're restarting the entire company. 
Oh, okay. All right, our new champion is Jeff Jarrett. He's now a two-time champion because he never lost the title in the first place. So this whole tournament was for nothing. Yep. So at the same point in time as The Rock is champion on WWF, we have Bill Goldberg as WCW champion. At this point in time, following Survivor Series, he would be just six weeks away from a date with the cattle prod. Keep quiet on the cattle prod mentions. It's coming. It's, <laughs> it's coming in Fruity's Ultimate Game Show. You, you guys just wait. I still remember just, like, being the only person in the world that was genuinely, like, so happy when Goldberg lost the title. But you're and a like, huge Goldberg fan. And I was a huge Goldberg fan. But, man, I just loved the Wolfpack as a kid. And I was just so happy. Because, like, I was a bit too young to have seen Kevin Nash's WWF champion as Diesel. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool to see Kevin Nash as a world champion. I got it. And then <laughs> a couple of weeks later, I got a finger poke. Yeah. Oh, well, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on this show? Because as soon as you go back over the card, you just realize, oh, yeah, the whole Rock Heel turn it all. Like, everything makes sense. Like, the quick roll-up of the big boss man. Oh, boss man accidentally threw it to the rock. Oh, maybe he did throw it to the rock on purpose. Or, like, you think about, oh, we're a couple of weeks away from Kane joining the corporation. How did the rock win the semi-final? Kane came in and interfered. Yeah. Everything makes sense, if you think back. Yeah, so this is a very strange Survivor Series card, as... It's more of a king of a ring than a traditional Survivor Series, as there's not one traditional Survivor Series match on this card. Yeah, I think this Survivor Series moving forward, there's like years without a traditional Survivor Series match. Yeah, I actually went and checked that up. Either side of this pay-per-view, in terms of Survivor Series pay-per-views by years, each year either side, 97 and 99, both have traditional survivor series matches on them yeah okay i'm shocked that it was one in 99 oh, i can imagine the quality of people they would have had in that uh <laughs> main street posse teaming up with patterson and briscoe to take on i don't know but yeah <laughs> um, yeah so like i get that the complaint might be there wasn't a traditional survivor series match but in essence, a tournament is suited to Survivor Series in a way, just because, you know, you got to survive the tournament, become the champion. Yeah, maybe this match will interest you going back on the network. Four-on-four four Survivor Series elimination match. The team of the Main Street Posse, Joey Abs, Pete Gass and Rodney, along with the British Bulldog. Oh, my God. Versus the team of Val Venus, Steve Blackman, Gangrel, and Mark Henry. That's so weird. Uh, I knew the posse would have to be in it. Oh my god, I forgot all about the bulldog hanging out with the Main Street posse. That was like weird, like, I wrestle in jeans and work boots bulldog as well. Oh. <laughs> with his jeans tucked into his boots like a goober. I, I'm I'm shocked Gangrel was still there in late 99. He wouldn't be too far off from leaving. But yeah, that's besides the point. Man, I loved 
Survivor Series 98, whilst you you don't get your traditional Survivor Series, you don't get a traditionally like good technical wrestling match, but you get the story. Everything revolves around this one goal, and that is the world title. Like The whole overarching theme of this pay-per-view was just this deadly game tournament for this title, and everything sort of all just came together and fell in place perfectly. You come out of this wanting to say Stone Cold get his revenge and get the title you want to see Mankind get his revenge you've got people set up for him like whose side's Kane on and all that sort of stuff so also I noticed that JR has always seemed to call wrestlers he likes by their other names Mick Foley tonight even though he's always addressed by Finkel and um, King and the graphics as Mankind. You see it more or less today with Jack Perry on AEW, a.k.a. Jungle Boy. Yeah, Jungle Boy from the Lucha Express, if you ask JR. But no, it's the Jurassic Express. He always gets that wrong, too. So, like, a little while ago, I was watching 97 WWF Raws, and it was around the time that... JR did that sit-down interview with Mankind and they, like, showed the footage of Mick Foley as a kid jumping off the roof of the house and all that sort of stuff. From that point forward, JR starts referring to Mankind as Mrs. Foley's baby boy and Mick Foley and all that sort of stuff because JR had this sit-down with him and, yeah, kind of felt like he got to know the Mick behind the mask sort of thing. So, yeah, I, was, I see where you're coming from, but, yeah, I, I was sort of seeing how it actually came out and it sort of made sense, to be honest. Fair enough. I also found weird some of the, like, contenders you've got for your world title here, and it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, granted, everyone here is dreamily over by today's standards, but you've got someone like a, a Gold Dust or a Jarrett a Snow, X-Pac, Regal, Bossman, Dwayne Gill as your possible world champions coming out of this tournament. Yeah, they're all pawns in Vince's grand plan. But yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. Imagine a world where Al Snow or Jeff Jarrett won the world title in 98. He did in WCW. (laughs) Well, not the world title yet. We're a couple of years away from that. Al Snow never held anything higher than the hardcore title in the Fed, did he? He had a European title run where he came out dressed as a different European sort of stereotype every week, which was kind of funny. (laughs) Oh, wow. I completely forgot that. Yeah. He comes out like a stripy shirt with a French beret and a and uh, holding like a, a baguette. Stick. Yeah. 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 I specifically remember him doing like the Sandman's white Russian leg sweep, except holding a baguette. Like just so good. Like Al Snow in like ninety eight, ninety nine, so criminally underrated. Like, his comedy spot's just so good. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned this at the start of the show. I didn't remember watching this, like, before I started watching this, and then it all started clicking back into place, like, oh, yeah, I've seen all this before. So I must have watched this um, growing up on pay-per-view at the time. Maybe. Maybe I had it in my house if you came around and I made you watch it. Who knows? <laughs> like, it's very possible. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed this show. I think 
if you're going to go back, especially uh, Watch Heat just for the beginning, it's only an hour and it sort of builds up to the pay-per-view really well if you haven't watched any of the Raw going into it. Yeah, definitely. If I knew we were going to do this with a little bit more time, even though I picked this technically, I probably would have gone back and watched all the Raws like for the month or so leading up to this to see the um the trial baby face run that the rock had at this time that sort of built up to this moment like the rock had just turned face after moving on from the nation of domination and the crowd's super behind him and just as you think he's about to hit his peak bang he turns heels all over again joins the corporation it's just perfect yeah it's it's great storytelling yeah definitely bro like corporate ministry highly underrated no man the music is so good yes the acolytes are great yeah um, Midian. man I, I never got Midian, especially as a kid i was just like oh go away <laughs> he's got like the giant green eye or whatever on his shirt and he's got a third eye and no <laughs> yeah um sure viscera was I, I actually liked it even though i thought it kind of looked like he was wearing a garbage bag half the time but um <laughs> yeah. the undertaker's look when he becomes like full on like i am the devil like with the goatee without the mustache oh man so good. So good. Yeah. I suppose, do yeah. you know, like I've seen this rumoured around the internet before various podcasts. You know the whole story behind the higher power who was originally going to be the higher power. You're just like a couple of squirrels trying to get a nut. Well, you're not going to bust a nut on me. Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, there was that. Have you heard the second one? SCU! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like legit. Like Bruce Pritchard's even talked about it that Christopher Daniels was meant to be, was not meant to be, but was in discussions of being the higher power. I suppose that's why they teased it so heavily when the Dark Order came around. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I sort of thought it was in reference to with the Dark Order, to be honest. Man, that's crazy to think that, like, Daniel's, like, 20 years before his proper, like, proper mainstream North American run could have been feuding with Austin in 99. Like, just so weird. Yeah, and there was, like, other rumours, like, like they tried to bring in Ultimate Warrior. They tried to get Kevin Sullivan to jump ship. Like, all these other things. Wow. Yeah, and the one they got the closest with was Jake Roberts. And then when was Heroes of Wrestling? 99, 2000. Yeah. Yeah. So after yeah, they, this. They, they would have got pretty close to, you want to play 21? Well, I got 22, Jake Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would have gotten a bad Jake Roberts and the gimmick would have died after a month. Looking at like Daniel's bio, it's got here WWF, ECW, WCW, Ring of Honor, TNA. You can um actually see Christopher Daniels backstage at the WWF in the Beyond the Mat documentary. Yeah, wasn't that filmed like the previous Survivor series? As no, that you're thinking of um walking it. With Wrestling with Shadows. Wrestling with Shadows, that's it. The Hitman one. But yeah, the... 
Beyond the Mat one is filmed around this time period because remember it has the footage from the it has footage from the Royal Rumble '99 and it has some stuff from before then as well. But yeah, back to Survivor Series '98 quickly. Like this is setting up. Like, what I consider to be, like, this might offend some people, but I think is probably the best WWF title feud of the Attitude Era in The Rock versus Mankind. Yeah, absolutely. I agree there. Yeah, like, it might not be as big of a draw, box office, all that sort of stuff, but every single match was just amazing. And I'm a Stone Cold guy. Like, but how can you not love Mick Foley? And how, how can you not be entertained watching The Rock at this time? And, um, yeah, like, the month after this, we get Rock versus Mankind on pay-per-view. Then we get Rock versus Mankind I Quit match. Uh, empty Arena match coming up. There's a Last Man Standing match. Uh, I think there's a ladder match at some point as well on Raw. Wow. Yeah, they just, they kept doing all these crazy gimmicks with these two. And like every time it never felt like the feud was dragging. It's just like, yeah, I I could go seeing these guys for another three months. Jeez, yeah. When you think of one of the most iconic rivalries of the Attitude Era for that championship, it's Rock Austin, Rock Foley. I'd, I'd chuck Triple H and The Rock in there, maybe... Triple H and Foley, but that's just more of a personal preference just because I love their street fight at the Royal Rumble so much. Yeah, it's sort of... You think of how over everyone was and it's sort of just that little snippet of time. There's only those sort of four or five guys who are up the very top there. Yeah, like you had to be very, very freaking over to get into that main event scene at this point in time. It's not like today where they could pretty much just if well Jay Uso's in a pay per view main event. You know who's the other number one contender on SmackDown, Mister Money in the Bank himself. Well, I guess so. Yeah, Otis. Yeah, yeah I was trying to think of the women's number one contender if there <laughs> was one, but yeah, I forgot all about Otis. Yeah, Otis with like, like these, Yeah, these guys are like. Maybe Jey Uso would do well in the Attitude Era, but but Otis wouldn't be doing, wouldn't be making more money than even the Blue Manie in the Attitude Era. Oh man, I love Blue Manie. So do I, man. Poor bugger, getting bullied by JBL. Yeah, as we talked about on our one night stand review. Yeah, exactly. It's in the archives, pal. Yeah. yeah. Um. So should we give a bit of a should we give a six pack to this show? What do you got out of a sixer? I'm gonna go five. Yeah, I'm gonna give a I'm gonna give it four and a half. I was almost gonna give it five, but I'll give it four and a half. That's what I planned on coming in here with. It was pretty much near perfect, but I it would have been nice to have had like one really good match on this card. <laughs> I think I'm more or less leaning to the side of once I hit play, I'm like, oh, yeah, I did watch all this as a kid. And, oh, yeah, I remember this happening. And, oh, yeah, I remember. Because this is one of those events I've never gone back on the network and watched, even though I've had the network since day one in Australia. Yeah, day one-ish, which was about (laughs) year two-ish for the Americans. (laughs) 
<laughs> Better than the UK year three-ish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. We'll talk a bit about that later. But, oh, um, man. Yeah, yeah this, so. this was fun. This was just great. Uh, I forgot to mention the theme song is just beautiful. Like, it's a deadly game. Yeah, you're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I think oh. I, I think I cracked my throat earlier when I did the Paul Bearer thing. I couldn't hit that high note just then. <laughs> We're not going to hear that song again. Nah, nah. I, th- I think I'd literally just blown my voice. Now I'm going to have to walk around saying, people power, because now I'm John Laurinaitis. Yeah, no, <laughs> thanks. I'm I'm John Laryngitis now. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> so I suppose we should let the good humans know what's coming up on the schedule. Whoa! So we'll be back on Wednesday, the twenty third, for a weekly wrestling wrap. Except this time, we're also going to be talking about the G one. Spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. I have watched Dark. Oh boy. I've watched Dark this week. I've I've watched almost everything. You know what happens when you watch Dark? It's only a slippery slope down to 205 Live. I'm not going to make any promises because <laughs> of when we are recording this and it hasn't happened yet, but I don't know if I can put myself through it. Yeah, you have four hours of wrestling in the morning and then probably another three hours of wrestling that night as it's the first night of the G1. So by the time all the lovely humans hear this, we would have already had two nights of the G1 to discuss. Yes. And I would assume I am dominating the R block and Tanahashi lost on the second night. I'm just killing it in the R block. Some really, I assume, a really like noteworthy episode of 205 Live and SmackDown. Yeah, it's just all, it's all happening. We'll be back on Wednesday for that. And then Friday the 25th, we'll be out with Thunderstorm talking about our top 10 favorite New Japan pro wrestling theme songs. Yes. I've been going deep in the rabbit hole researching this. I sent you a clip last night of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall coming out in, like, I think it was the Tokyo Dome in, like, 04, 05, like, to Ready or Not by the Fugees. Like, just so weird. Like, it's fully grey-haired Scott Hall as well. (laughs) Oh, man. So I've been going deep down the wormhole trying to find some bangers. Wow. And then on Monday the 28th, we'll be back for Fallout Down Under talking WWE 24, the documentary WrestleMania. The show must go on from this year's WrestleMania. Where I realised who was the voice of Rambling Rabbit. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, dude. Uh, oh, yeah. my God, my voice is dying after this. <laughs> and then, of course, we'll be back on Wednesday the 30th for the last edition of the weekly wrestling wrap in September. Yeah, so stay tuned to our social medias. That's at WrestleLifestyle on Facebook and Twitter will be posting our G1 picks on the Facebook. And then after the shows, once I've watched, I'll be updating the Twitter with our uh, current results on there. I hope uh, our humans love content because 
at the halfway point of this month, we had already put out more content than we had in the previous month. So that just shows you guys, you get you get your bang for your buck when you support Wrestling Oz style. And by your buck, I mean the zero dollars you pay for this show. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's zero dollars, so you can't complain about the price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As uh, the esteemed Katie Forbes would say on Impact, it's free 99. Uh... That'll be on Wednesday. We can talk about impact. (laughs) (laughs) But I suppose we should be closing by saying, have a good night and we'll chat to you later. And remember, it's a deadly game. Oh, yeah. Oh, no.